Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Boardroom International Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Blanks takes place October 8th and 9th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds, a 60,000 square foot hall filled with the entire surfboard manufacturing industry each and every year honoring an icon of foam. And this year, 2022, we honor Timmy Patterson. For more information, visit boardroomshow.com. One of the sharpest minds in the game, a savvy business person, incredible craftsman, a guy who understands the importance of an authentic aesthetic, and this guy has an intense work ethic. On this edition of the Boardroom Podcast, surfboard builder Chris Christensen, let us begin. Chris Christensen, welcome to the Boardroom Podcast. It's good to see you this morning. How many cups of Joe do you drink in the morning? This is uh, the first one with like about a one-inch topper for this. One-inch topper? What does that mean? Whiskey? What the hell is that? Well, that means I had a Zoom meeting. I'm like, I might need a little more coffee. So I I got you. I got you. I don't know how long it's going to last. I got waffles going too. A couple things. As you know, probably the Padres are playing pretty well. I don't know if you've been watching. Got season tickets. Oh, good. Are you going to the any of the Dodger games? Going tonight. I got every Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday home game. Okay, I'll be there Sunday. I'm looking right on the third baseline. Oh, okay. I'll be above you. Probably where? Which which section are you? You'll be behind me, of course. No, no, above. Bob Euchre. No, yeah, actually, I think I am like right in that zone, like you know where the announcers are. Yeah, no, they're looking good. I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. I'm super psyched. I mean, we got pitching coming back too. Yeah, a couple of good pitchers, Darvish. Still not satisfied with the bullpen. It's not like our mid-90s bullpen was. Chris, there's three concerts coming to your area. Which one of these three are you going to attend? One of them is Honk. The other one is Iron Maiden. And the other one is Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Neither. None? You got Macedon. Macedon's playing on my birthday. I'm going to Macedon. I don't even know who Macedon is. I'm assuming they're, they're uh, north of Iron Maiden. Yeah, yeah. Go look at your kids' playlist. What is it, like Nordic Nordic death metal or something? No, it's kind of like in between. I guess it'd be in between a Metallica and a Slayer, kind of in between, you know, a little softer than Slayer, a little more than Metallica. Right. They're old guys like us. Softer than Slayer. That's not something you, you hear. Uh, hey, okay, so let's get into surfboards. Um, as you know, or maybe you don't know, but uh, Britt Merrick won Stab in the Dark. They just had Stab in yeah. the Dark um, with Jack yeah. Robinson. What are your thoughts on the whole Stab in the Dark series? I love it. <clears throat> um, I'm a huge fan. I've been invited to their other one a few times, the Electric Acid Test, I think you could call it, the more alternative one. Yeah. And 
I decline each time. <laughs> yeah. And I said, Hey, I want to be in the other one, but I don't know. Yeah. I, that's, I, that's kind of where I was going with this. I'd like to see you in the other one too. I think, um, I think people forgot that I came from performance boards and, and all that. And I still love doing them. And I'm actually redoing my whole performance line right now. Like I, now I'm seeing everyone coming my way with their twin fins and whatnot. I'm like, I'm going that way. I'm going. <laughs> and I've been riding them again. And, uh, I'm really happy the way it comes out. It's all comes natural to me. Like I like shaping all, you know, all realms of surfing from, from performance alternatives, long, short, whatever. That's, you know, that's why. Yeah. Like so yeah, I'd be honored to be in stab in the dark, but you know, it's always the same dudes, which is fine. And uh, I don't know. I'm a don't huge, know. I'm a huge fan of Britt Merrick and seeing him carry on his dad's legacy at Channel Islands. I mean, being in the industry and as you know, like, you know, you, you, you hear the rumors, you know, who stinks and who doesn't. And the one rad legacy about CI, like you never hear a bad thing about anyone at China Islands. I mean, it's just such a solid brand inside and out, the people behind it, the product, everything. So um, I'm stoked to see Brit take it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I, I push back a little bit on, on the idea of the same guys. Like I don't, and I don't think you do either. I don't like it that it's the same guys. There can't only be 12 really good guys. Like, that's just ridiculous, you know? And it's cool that they bring in um, uh, the guy from Pukas. What's his name again? I love that guy. Axel. He's actually yeah, a good Axel friend of mine. Yeah. Him and I were in the fire together in the Pukas factory. Good oh, shape. Tell me about that. Tell me about that. How did that go down? Uh, I'm still here. <laughs> Barely um you've had two fires yeah i lost my house and then to a fire and then uh literally a year year and a half after that i got stuck in the factory fire at pukas so like well, the, the short story is uh is i was um i, I go to pukas every year it's a factory in spain it's actually probably the biggest Besides whatever's going on in Thailand and whatnot, I don't know what those look like, but as far as like surfers working in the surfboard factory is probably the biggest factory in the world at the time. Place was like a maze, three stories. Had I not have been there about five trips prior to that, I probably wouldn't be here today because I wouldn't have been able to navigate myself out of the building. I was stuck on the second floor. What saved my life was my jet lag because I was super tired. I had just gotten there and I was shaping and I had Bose noise canceling headphones on and I respirator with fresh cartridges. So I couldn't hear or smell anything. And I finished shaping the board at about three 45, four o'clock in the afternoon. They're actually having a heat wave. There it's probably about pushing hundred degrees, which is hot for there. And that's what started the fire is, you know, all the circuits, the electrical surges were just on full blast in the whole town and it overloaded their uh, central uh, AC heating and all that. And that's what started the fire. So they had one room where all that stuff was and it was contained, but it was built right next to their acetone room. <laughs> and so when that fire burnt, when the, when their um, utilities caught on fire, it was in a contained room. But once it went through those walls, then it got into the acetone recycling room and then it was just boom. So long story short, uh, there's probably about 30 something people working there at all at any time. And I got super jet lag, walk out of my shape room to rack the board in the hallway. And I kind of looked around, I'm like, where is everybody? 
I mean, that's weird. And then I took my headphones off and I heard that. Ah, 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 and I could hear people outside screaming my name because oh I was, was apparently it was only me and one other guy upstairs were in the building. Everyone else has been evacuated for about eight to 10 minutes is what they say. And then I pull my mask down and I can smell it. I'm like, oh my God, there's a fire. And then, then I look in the corner of my eye and I can see the offices were floor to ceiling flames. And I was just switching hotels. So all my bags, computer, everything were in that room. So luckily I had my passport and my wallet and my cell phone in the shaping room. But everything else, I lost everything else. All I had was a t-shirt, pair of board shorts and flip-flops. I'm like, whoa. And I started running and I fell. And I'm like, oh, my phone. <laughs> I don't know why I ran back to my room. I'm like, no, fuck my phone. I don't need my phone. Get out of here. And I ran to this to where the office was. There's a stairway out. There's no windows on the second floor. And that stairway down was floor to ceiling flames. So then I ran upstairs because I knew there was windows on the third floor to jump out. And as I'm running up there, Sharky, one of the laminators, comes running down. Like, didn't even say anything to me, just like, Phew! he just like said something in Spanish. <laughs> Probably like, get the fuck out. But I only remember there's windows up there because there's a bathroom. And I remember I stunk the place up and I had to open the window. So I was like aiming for the bathroom window upstairs. Get up there, floor to ceiling fans, couldn't get there. So now I'm trapped. And the black smoke starting to come in and everything. And there's one other stairway down to where their shipping area was. And there was a mezzanine and all that. And I had to jump off that mezzanine. I don't know. It was, it was a pretty big stomp. Then luckily we had a huge snow year that year. This was in like June. And so my legs were like kind of gnar for a skinny guy. And I stomped it. I don't know, 18, 20 foot job on a concrete. Radical, radical. Ran out of the building. The owner, Miguel, uh, who started Pucas in 73, they all thought I was dead. And also, I remember he just comes running to me. Everyone's standing outside, and you know they're all like cheering because I got out. And he just grabbed me and wouldn't let go of me. And it was just bawling. Right. And then we let us go, and I turn around, and there's just flames shooting out all the windows. And I'm not kidding. Within, you know, it's hard to grasp how fast time is going, but probably within three to five minutes of me getting out, the whole building collapsed. So wow. jet lag saved my life because usually when I go uh, travel shaping, I mean, I'm there to power. And I'll go bell to bell, like breakfast to dinner. Just, you know, the whole goal is to get as many as you can because you're only there once. And I was just straight up tired. I'm like, I got nothing in the bag. I got to need to get back to my hotel. (laughs) Otherwise, I would have been gone. Dude, that is a great story. And I mean, great in that it's captivating. Um, It's, of course, very sad and, and horrible. Um, yeah. When you tripped, what, what was, when you tripped, like, like at that moment, when you saw there was fire before you tripped, were you like, holy shit, my life's on the line? Or were you like, okay, did you think it was easier to get out? Or, you know what I mean? Like, where were you at in your fear or concern level? It was just like, you know, those movies you have when you're running from something, you know, I slipped on dust as in flip-flops and, you know, it's the whole fighter, the fight or flight thing you know like I wasn't panicking in the moment I was just like I gotta get out and and your body kind of just takes over and I don't know it was like a numb experience but I knew I was fighting for my life but it was was a real numb I don't want to say peaceful but like I I was just so laser focused Mm -hmm. and there was no other alternatives other than to get out you know 
So the real, and then when I got out and I saw the place collapse, I mean, I was still in that, like, whoa, like I wasn't freaking out yet. And then I was just kind of going, at the same time, I was going, what the fuck? I just lost my house to the fire. I'm in a lawsuit, you know, I was in the middle of a lawsuit for that because there's a power line that, that fell over in the wind, which all wildfires are started by in California. That's a whole nother story, but (laughs) um, I'm just like, wow, I mean, I kind of felt like I had a dark cloud going over me. And uh, so anyways, it wasn't, and I didn't have a phone either. Um, So it wasn't until this two nights later, I was laying in bed in my hotel room all by myself, (laughs) still had nothing. I I got an iPad to borrow for checking emails and letting people I know it was okay. Cause it kind of went world news in the surf industry. And um, then I started having panic attacks. Cause that's when all the what ifs started kicking in. And I remember just choking uh, in the middle of the night all by myself in the hotel room. Like I hyperventilated, like I have asthma, anxiety induced asthma. I didn't have my asthma medicine, nothing. I was just like, I was so close to calling an ambulance because I just couldn't breathe all the what ifs and then and then uh i'm like i either gotta get out of here or or just man up because i wanted to help those people you know yeah and i ended up shaping more <laughs> all these people started offering shaping rooms i'm like hey, i'm gonna be a man these guys just lost their factory these other factories are helping me out and i stayed for about four or five more days i might have shaped 20 20 boards or so after the fire just kind of like uh and then I was like, hey, guys, I got to go. And then I yeah. actually flew from there to New York. <laughs> I didn't want to fly home straight. And then I just flew there to New York. And then just kind of like I had some friends there and cleared my head, went and bought a phone. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. nice to have a phone for a while. But that was it. And uh, anyways, to this day, this was, this was in 2000. My, fi- my house burned down in 2015. That was the summer of 2017. And I still, to this day, have about two to three reoccurring nightmares of the same situation a week. <laughs> well, wow. That's I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Just, man. That's horrible. You know, me just running out of building a fire. Or, oh, my house burned down again. All that. So it's, but you make it out, right? You make it out each time. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating about dreams and or nightmares. The ones where you're being chased or whatever, in your case, the fire situation is your ego will never allow you to die. Nobody ever dies in their dreams. Because your ego won't allow it. Yeah, yeah. Pretty interesting. Well, gosh, we're glad you're here. Of course, I know you've told me that story before, but that might have been your better, best rendition yet. And I appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate it. And I don't, I don't want Yeah, the topper's kicking in. But um, back to the stab in the dark thing. Um, and, and Axel, Axel's a great, obviously legendary shaper and a great guy. And I think his daughter is starting to shape too, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, got a cool setup. He lives in France. You know, the, the Pucas factory is right on the border of Spain and France. So there's probably half the factory lives in France. The other half lives in Spain. And there are people from all over the world. Yeah. I, I'd like to go check that out. I'd like to go visit there and, and see them. And I know that area is wave rich. It is, especially in the wintertime. Yeah. Um, but the stab in the dark, first of all, I would love to see you involved in that. Um, one of the things that Britt mentioned to me was that, you know how they have the 12 boards all lined up and the surfer can go up there and feel them out and determine which one's which. And I've always thought that that was fascinating, but Britt was like, no, dude, no problem. Like 
most of the shapers could go mo and most of the surfers on tour could go and tell you which one's which because they've just they see them all the time they're they're there at the contest uh, do you think that you could go up there and and feel out each one and get a get maybe eight out of twelve yeah yeah i do yeah i had a thought and tell me what you think about this what if they just the guys at stab just chose two shapers and didn't tell the surfer and they built 12 boards and the surfer went up there thinking, okay, I got 12 shapers here. I got to, you know, what do you think of like throwing that curveball at the surfer? I don't know how much it matter. I mean, I mean, obviously there's those guys, like I remember like the Mick Fanning one, that one was the most impressive to me because he is really nailing them. You know, he's just like mayhem PhD. <laughs> So obviously, like, it seems like all these guys, their shapers usually in it, you yeah. know? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not going to critique the thing because I'm a big fan of it. I actually like everything they're yeah. doing. Like, I think yeah, it yeah. is more exciting that there is a lot of shapers. It kind of keeps you more engaged rather than just two guys. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm not going to try to change the wheel on them. I like what they're doing, really. Um, yeah. I, my only, like, just like you're saying, like, it'd be cool if it, I know there's some more shapers. But there is some more shapers, there's, and then there's actually not, you know, like in my opinion, and I think a lot of the, you know, other shapers in the upper echelon or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. There's just, there's not a whole lot of great shapers anymore. Yeah. I, I hate to be blunt, but there's not, you know, and yeah. there's a lot of new alternative guys and some of them are good, but there's very few performance guys like name someone under 35. That's like a upper echelon performance shaper right now. Like, you know, they're, I know they're, they're out there. I know they're out there, but it's not like how it was 30 years ago when there was a bunch of us under 35 trying to get after it, you know, like I you came from, that's well, I just came from the era, like, you know, like, I guess my generation would be, you know, me, Biolas, um, JS, we're all kind of the same age, Cordell, you know, there was a group of us then doing that. And, you know, I was a performance board shaper. I wasn't, you know, I was, I was doing twin fins and all that. Well, my main thing was, I mean, I started making keelfin fish in 93, 94 when I met Skip and people made fun of me, you know what I mean? But I'm like, I don't care, these kind of work. And then, you know, I kind of saw that, that yeah. door open for the future for that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I just, I'd like to see some younger guys get it, but it, it's a whole different thing now with the computers and all that. It's like, if you're not, I mean, it's like hand shaping, like, all right, cool. I, I feel like every shaper should know it, but now like starting out, I like, man, you gotta be better with a computer than you are with your planer oh, where yeah. back when we started is the opposite, you know, yeah. and I'm horrible on a computer. Like, you know, if I was in that stab in the dark and I'm like, yeah, this guy wants 33 liters. I'd be like, <laughs> you know, what is that? Five, is that two, five, eight. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be going to the lost website and stuff. Okay. That one's 33 liters by 19 and a half. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Dude, we got to get you in that thing. It would be so great. I'd be psyched if you. I were. mean, I would like to see that stab in the dark. I would like to say, "Hey, all right," and they document it like the shapers got to do the whole thing, start to finish, and yeah. glass it. Oh, that's fascinating. I love. And that. they document that, like they send their guy to each yeah. guy, and these got to be hand shapes, and they got to be da 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 da, and then that would be cool. Wow, That'd that would be more be intriguing, cool. you know. And like, I mean, you'd be surprised how many shapers don't know how to mix a cup of resin. <laughs> i know you know what I, hand in the dark we call it hand in the dark there you go i love it but you know shaker you know there's always been that debate too like oh hand, it's 
you know, especially my genre, people are like, it's got to be a handshake. I'm like, dude, I, I'm not going to eat top ramen and live in an apartment the rest of my life. Like, I got to do numbers and <laughs> and this whole, like, you know, these guys always better if it's a handshake and this and that. I'm like, I'm going to throw it all the way out. I like to use the analogy, like, hey, what's the difference between a handshake or a computer shape? Handshake's a little more like live music. The thing off the machines is, you know, recording. Yeah, that's a great both- way to look at it. Yeah, a good shaper is going to be able to do both just as good. And nowadays, you kind of have to and kind of lean yeah. towards like the performance stuff. You better be better at the computer. Yeah. And and tell me about your new performance line, if you can, a little bit. I mean, I'm actually riding performance boards again. It's so funny how cyclical surfboard design yeah. is for all of us. And we're at different parts of the cycle. And yeah. I'm literally riding like a 6'2 trifin right now. And I'm loving it. Yeah, well, I think the alternative stuff being in that really helped it too because you know, for a while, those, those performance boards were like water skis. They're just way too bent and narrow and everything. And then, you know, then go 20 years forward and you, you know, you felt like what, a, you know, when riding Kilford Fish, like you felt that, that sensation of just the planing and the trim and the acceleration without having to do it yourself. And now you can incorporate those kind of theories into like performance board, what performance boards were missing 20, 25 years ago. And I think they're doing that now, you know, and, also, I think the whole alternative movement, you know, you had guys that were, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you're a longboarder or a shortboarder. And then the alternative thing came and everyone's in the middle and it got like the performance guys interested in the longer board stuff. And they got the longboard guys, you know, more able to go in the shorter stuff. And now you got, you know, now pretty much most servers have a, a more diverse quiver now because of all that. And now I'm seeing guys that were like, kind of like, uh, kind of novices and whatnot and then the the alternative boards made them better surfers and now they're like you know they're like oh i'm try performance board and they're liking it I'm like whoa i can do a turn here instead of over there now you know <laughs> so true I'm, I'm i'm constantly on the quest for 12 o'clock even though it's more like nine o'clock when i do a top turn but but yeah. the thing is is that i'm on the quest for it you know oh and yeah you're, you're right your foot i was like nine o'clock's over there i'm like i'm going left <laughs> I'm aiming at three. <laughs> you know what? Tell me what you think about this, because I'm obviously clueless when it comes to most things regarding surfboard design. I might know a little bit, but but what I had a guy do was put a ton of concave in the bottom for me for mm-hmm. my performance shortboard, thinking that it's going to give me the get up and go that I need so I don't have to wank my way up to the speed that I need. Is that something that you think makes sense to incorporate in a modern performance shortboard, a ton of concave in the bottom? Well, yes and no. There's Technically, there's three planing surfaces on a surfboard, and especially when you look at it from nose to tail. So you got your rail line, both rails. So that's one and two, left rail, right rail. You got that curve. But then, you know, if you have that curve here and then you put a ton of concave through the middle, that's your third planing surface. And what that does is it, you put a lot of concaves that flattens that center line out and still leaves a curve in the rail line. If you're following me. Yeah. So it just depends. It's all algebra. You know, if you, if yeah. you, if you lessen the, the rail line rocker, you can lessen the concave, et cetera. And it just depends what you're looking for and aiming for. So there's a million ways to do it. Right. Exactly. And it, is it true? Because my brain takes me to, to, you know what, less is more in all regards, you know, like, and, and some have told me that with high performance shortboards, obviously, I mean, just a minute amount means a lot, especially to these high level surfers that, that can feel it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, you know, going back in the performance board realm, you know, especially the guys on tour, those guys are like Formula One drivers, you know. And to me, the hardest board to shape is your five ten thruster tour board. Like, you know, these alternative boards, the blanks come pretty much there. The, the playing surfaces are wide and flat, you know, a lot more user-friendly and uh, a lot more user-friendly for the shaper too. Like there's more room for mistakes, you know, it's almost like the cast iron golf club and the forged iron golf club, you know, like the sweet spot gets really small on those performance boards and the, and the room for, for uh, mistakes becomes really small. Well, tell me about your, your line of shortboards, if you can. I know you said you're kind of re-tinkering with them. Is there anything you'd like to tell me about it? Because I'm... Yeah, I'm looking out on ordering one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm calling it the Ocean Pro Series, OP for Ocean Pro. Uh, okay. So I'm going to have the OP1, OP2, OP2X, OP3, OP4. So basically the OP1 is your performance gravel shortboard. Uh, again, not a twin fin, it's still a thruster. So kind of in the, you know, something for a little more novice friendly. And then the OP2 is getting more performancey. Uh, but still user friendly. OP2X is going to be more bend, more curve for that, you know, the higher level guy, it's still a squash shell. The OP3 is going to kind of replace my old Brad Gerlach model, the Ger model. It's going to be the swallowtail. And the OP4 is going to be performance round, round tail. So it kind of covers the realm. And then, you know, all those boards can fit in your board bag. And it's just like the perfect little surf trip quiver. And then obviously, I've had the Carrera, which has been my uh, step up I've had a lot of success with. And what's cool about that is I haven't changed that model. That model is like 12 years old and I haven't tweaked it at all other than, you know, width, length and thickness, but the rocker has been the same and everything. So once I, a lot of these guys are like t-shirt brands and stuff, they're changing their models every six months and all that. I like to kind of like hopefully find a, something that just kind of sticks and you just do my new changes year by year. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, it's everyone's trying to stay one step ahead of whatever the, um, I, I don't know, board du jour is or whatever. And yeah. of course, it's all it's all cyclical, as you know. And I'm wondering, um, what do you think in, say, let's say a year and a half from now, assuming let's just take, for example, that and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but the twin fin round pin has been sort of in fashion for a couple, three years now. It seems to me, OK, well, in, a year and a half, what's the board that's going to be in fashion, you know? And if we look at the cyclical nature of it, and I look at history, like I, in the early 80s, I was riding a twin fin round pin by Gary McNabb. And then the next thing was, of course, the three fin. So maybe we're going to the three fin again. We're going to go revisit that. And in the middle there somewhere, you know, we have Glenn Winton making glass on quad fins and guys going to quad fins. So is the quad <coughs> fin something that's next? Like, what are your thoughts on a year and a half from now, what is everybody going to be? Oh, I got to go get me one of those. Oh, it's all here to stay. So predicting the flavor of the month. <clears throat> I mean, to me, it's just, I still think the surfers are just going to keep adding more boards to the quiver is really what's going to happen. And it goes back to the whole music analogy, what you listen to today, what you want to listen to tomorrow. I kind of feel like <clears throat> every, you know, every 10 years, there's like these, you know, little more progressive changes in board designs, you know, but if you look at surfboards the last five or six years, you know, group them all together and take all the genres, they're all going to be pretty congruent to each other. Go back another 10 years, you're going to see the differences. So I feel like where surfboards are at right now, we're kind of hitting the, the ceiling of, of um, progression in this realm. You know, I almost feel like we're kind of in the, the last few chapters of 
this generation of surfboard design. Um, and I think it's one of the, if you want to put it, I guess you can kind of categorize them in generations, you know, like you had the nineties, the early O's, the 2010, and now what we're kind of doing now, um, I think we're on the kind of the back tracker, but I think this is one of the better chapters of surfboard designs, at least in my career, I'll be this August will be 30 years of shaping. So I think, you know, that if you want to package the last five to 10 years of surfboard designs, I think this is probably the most exciting and, and the, the, um, the most rational, you know, and, and, and not overindulge. I think while wow, people are like literally like stabbing in the dark and getting a little overindulged with things, but now, now it seems like um, with social media and the blueprints being more out there, you know, cause all shapers are looking at other shapers and surfers are looking at other surfers. So it's really kind of confined, consolidated board design and matured it. Right. That's interesting. So it's almost like a homogenization that's occurring because we're not so, we're not so apart. We're, now everyone see. I see what Al, Axel's doing in Spain. And 20 years ago, we necessarily didn't really see all that quite as quickly. I've been seeing um, some, the one thing I've been seeing a lot of changes in is, is fin placements. And which I think is really a wave pool thing is really great for that. I mean, I'd love to have access to a wave pool and have one, you know, have like three or four of the exact same boards with completely different fin placements. That's, you know, that's going to be the next big move. Because that people haven't really played with that. Everyone's always done like, especially on thrusters, yeah. three and a half by eleven fin placement, and inch and inch and an eighth off the rail, quarter toe, and then can't say any names. But I've been working with someone that pretty much everyone knows who he is, and he went into his garage, and uh, he's like, "Look at these fin placements," and I'm like, "Wow!" I mean, we're talking three to four inches. Oh wow! You know, frontwards or backwards compared to normal wow. on a on a standard six zero five eleven, like with crazy different curves. I was like, wow, impressive! It, it had me going, and I don't know. So there's been also like you look at Maurice Cole, like you know, in the late eighties, early nineties when he's doing that reverse V, yeah. and now I've been exploring that design on my alternative line because now I'm like trying to get the alternative boards to fit in the pocket more, and I've been having a little success with the reverse V. And he's been gracious enough. Like we've been, we haven't like had a full connect, but he's been like, "Hey, mate, how's everything?" You know, like it's cool. Yeah. Like shapers are. There's a little more of a brotherhood now. That's sweet. I'm glad to hear that. A couple things. Your your Chris Craft. I saw a guy surfing your Chris Craft yesterday, and I asked him about. It. I'm like, God, that because we were both on gliders, and his looked way better than mine. And and I saw him do this turn way up in the pocket on a ten six. And uh, and so I'm, I guess my question is. Chris Crafts don't have reverse V, do they? Chris Crafts got all kinds of things going on. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to work with, right? Yeah, there's a lot of roll and V. There's a catamaran in it. Yeah, double spiral Vs. Wow, okay. Well, Light coming back. So yeah. the funny story on the gliders, you know, obviously my relationship with Skip from the early mid-90s, you know, his was the Eagle. So my big board was the glider. And yeah. then everyone started calling big boards gliders. And I was kind of like, you know, that was 20 years ago, Chris, you know, he's a little more like bitter and cynical and I'm like, ah, everyone's calling them gliders. And so that's why I call it the Chris craft. Cause I didn't want, yeah. yeah I hear it's a little surfboard history for you. Yeah, man. Here's the thing. Um, you were talking about fins and, and you've made me two of the greatest surfboards I've ever owned. One was a dauntless, a six, six dauntless that I took to Indo a couple of times. And the other was a twin fin round pin that you made me. That was one of the fastest, if not the fastest, 
point A to B surfboard I've ever owned. Both of those boards had glass on fins. And I'm wondering if glass on fins, and I can't see this happening, but is there a time when glass on fins become sort of like, not trendy, but fashionable? Um, yeah, we, we still, I mean, my glass shop probably does more glass on fins than any glass shop in the world. And, you know, in the Marine Ply, like, again, back to the days when I was with Skip and Brewer and all them in the mid-early 90s, uh, Larry Gephardt was also in the Point Loma area where I was from at the time. And, what, you know, he's obviously the guru of the wood, uh, Baltic birch, Marine Ply fins. Um, and his whole thing was the, the performance of them is like, A, they're lighter, wood was lighter than at that time solid fiberglass fins and b because they're buoyant he had a whole hydrodynamic hydrodynamic theory about the fins are more responsive because they're buoyant and i even i talked to i told kelly this because you know he's got his his fin company out now and and it's like yeah and they float so you won't lose them i go but you know there's a hydrodynamic you know i told him about gepi's theory because they float like you gotta think about it. there's a performance thing in that yeah I remember for a long, well, for a little while, foam fins were kind of a thing in the early '80s. There, you mean the foam twin fins? Yeah, that I'm was not sure who did weight. those. That was the, the inject them to take the weight out of them. Did Curtis Hasselgrave do that? I don't know. I, Curtis mm-hmm. Curtis Hasselgrave was was, you know, he was the man with fins. You know, he's kind of the Japanese sushi chef guy of fin making back then. So. Glass on fins, not going to come back in fashion or no? Um, they'll always have their place. You know, I like the whole performance thing because fiberglass has memory. No matter how you bend it, it's going to come right back or plastic kind of doesn't. Yeah. There is a theory on the anchor, just having that fiberglass anchor to the fins rather than a piece of plastic box. So <clears throat> there's, you know, they're just such a pain in the ass to, to manufacture the work and then the sanders and, they're never going to make a full comeback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, now the glass shops, we all learn because, you know, if I have six boards or just FCS fin boxes and six glass on fins standing outside the Sanders sanding bay, he's going to, you know, he's going to cherry pick. <laughs> you know, I got to pay him a lot more. So to get a gla- board of glass on fins, I mean, I, I got to triple check my price list, but I know we charge well over $100. In set. addition. Yeah, because right. I got to pay everyone more, you know, and it's a loss. Yeah. The guys that set them. You know, the guy, yeah, I, I, them. yeah, I have Andy Poff, who's awesome, you know, and he's in his late 60s now. He's been building boards forever, and that's all he does is our glass on fins. Like, I have one guy just for glass on fins, and uh, he even told me, he's like, hey, July 1st, man, my wife wants me to start backing off. And I'm like, oh, gosh, and like, I don't know anyone under 60 that can do a good glass on fin setup. So what's your strategy there? Do you just get one of the younger guys and go, hey, look, I want you underneath Andy for about two months and just get this thing dialed and it's going to work out for you? You're going to have plenty of work. And how, Yeah, how luckily you- I had some, had some, you know, I want to call them kids now. I had these guys in the early 20s that actually stuck with the factory through COVID. They could easily gone on the Joe Biden doll, you know, and made more money sitting on the couch. Um, but they stayed at the factory and... Um, I have a, you know, I have three, three employees over 75. <laughs> Radical. That are insane. You know, they're great workers and they love it. I mean, they, they're there because they want to be there. And, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I was talking to Matt Bielos. He's like, you got to start training those younger guys. Like, Cause we we're both talking about, man, there's no more guys out there that want to 
work in a glass shop. So I'm guessing it's a- Andy and Gary and Peter. No, uh, Wayne Hosazaki. No. Peter and Gary Stuber, yeah. Peter might be 74. He might not be 75 quite yet. Gary's been telling me he's 78 for like the last eight years. So I don't know. <laughs> he, might be, he might be 90. I don't know. But the guy's like strong as an ox. Yeah, he is. But it's, it's the future of glass shops is sketchy. That's why I travel shape so much because my glass shop's maxed out. And I can't find what I need in any other glass shop here in California. And they're all swamped. And so it's, it's unbelievable. And you I, you know, I work at Ricky Carroll's factory in Florida. He's having the same problem. He's like, you can't find you know, the, 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 the average age in his factories, you know, surprising what it is. You know, there's just no young guys doing it. And it pays pretty well, like working in a glass shop. It's all piecework. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, what's the solution to this problem that we see coming down the pike? I mean, this is going to, instead of this blowing up in our face, what are we doing to solve the issue so that when the time comes, we're like, okay, cool, we have a pipeline of labor here? The biggest threat to the surfboard industry right now is uh, the glassing area. Like, when it's, there's so many factors. It's a, the biggest problem is finding labor and the new talent. It's just... I don't know what it is with this younger generation, but the, you know, like getting dirty at work doesn't seem like their cup of tea. It's a dirty job. It is piecework. So like, you know, my Sanders, they're making 60 to 80, 90 bucks an hour. Cause it's piecework. You know, once they get good, you know, they're getting yeah. 25 to 30 bucks a unit doing two to three units an hour. It's not, it's, it's way better than bartending, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the other problem is, especially in California, is obviously, A, the price of real estate. So getting these industrial spaces, uh, they're not cheap. It's driving the cost of boards up. And then all our EPA and environmental and all, you know, the California laws. I mean, I, I get probed every other month by, you know, if I get some soccer mom walking by and she smells something and then she gets all Aaron Brockovich on us and I, you know, and I got to go through everyone in the county coming by, check, check, check. And I'm like, I could have just shaped five surfboards doing all that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But we pass, we're complying each time, but it's it's getting harder and harder. And, and now I'm actually, so Moonlight's, it's my understanding, it's the oldest surfboard factory in the world. Right. Still in the original building. Pucas was until it burnt down. What about the down there where Matt is in the ghetto at San Clemente? They've been there a while, but Moonlight's been in the same building since 1979. And in that industrial complex where I bought New Light in 2010, we were always neighbors and they joined us. And so that industrial complex we're in, in La Costa Meadows, just outside of Carlsbad, we're the only business that's been there since the day they built that stood the test of time. Right. We have new owners now in the last five or six years. The previous owners loved us. We loved them. It was awesome. These new guys, the, it's, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to negotiate an extension of the lease. Yeah. And they don't care how long we've been there. They don't care how many employees are there. They'd rather that place be a CrossFit gym or a storage unit, something less impactful. And I, I'll be honest, man, it's ruining my sleep. I don't know our future right now. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. And I don't know how much, I want to go through build. It, it takes a lot to build a surfboard factory and to get it to all the specs for the EPA and all that. It's not cheap. It takes a long time. You got to go through a whole permit process. I don't know if I have a stomach for it to do it again. Yeah. What do you think about going to Mexico or going to Utah or Nevada? Me though. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I've been digging my travel. I mean, lucky for me is I can shape anywhere. I have my own shaping room in Hawaii now. Uh, yeah. I'm in, I'm in a Jason Cashy Wise factory. I got my own room I just built. And, and then I have my own space out of Ricky Carroll's. So I've been lucky with that. And I work with good glassers there. I was talking to the guys at Lost and all that, you know, about all the problems you have. And, and you know, there's all those surfboard factories in Oceanside. And I don't know if it, yeah. all those guys off Airport Road are going to be gone in the next few years because... Uh, yeah, because really? that whole area is going to turn be turned into like away from the beach. It's going to be gastropubs and yeah, and hipster bars and whatnot. So all the all so those the, guys are going to be having to move. I think it's like so the, only another three and a half, four more years, and it's they're they're bulldozing that whole place. Really, it already. I sold. know that. Oh, so it's been purchased and they're bulldozing it, and they're just going to gentrify that whole area, yep. Airport Road. Yep. Wow. And I mean, I'm going to shake a stick at it, but I'm going to guess there's at least 20 surfboard factories there. So it's really kind of interesting. Like this is a much deeper story that needs to be researched, actually. What's going to happen to surf? Where are we going to get our surfboards? That's maybe the title of the piece. And it sounds like we're going to get them from Mexico. And yeah, there's obviously it- some factories in Mexico. We all know it's overseas, you know, in Asia and whatnot. And I used to be outspoken about all that stuff and I'm not anymore. Like I get it. You know, it's business. I you know, Chris working Ruddy in has Florida, working in Florida, like <clears throat> they're very pro business there. Uh, you still got to go through all the permit processes and all that, but you know, like the cost and everything, I, I, I kind of see a lot of manufacturing. I wouldn't be surprised. It's not going to happen overnight, but in the next five to 10 years, I think there'll be, it's possible. Some big labels that have been here forever might move to Florida. And, and there's no uh, state income tax. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not lying. I mean, now that I've been going there so much, I'm kind of like scratching my head and I'm looking at all the taxes and stuff I got to deal yeah. with in California. It's like, man, why don't I just base out there and I can, there's airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it, it sounds like a couple of things could happen. One is the rise of, for lack of a better phrase, the backyard shaper gets stronger. And I don't mean backyard shaper. What I mean is like the guy that can get a little unit out in Vista at some industrial park and bang out his own personal boards and do the glassing and everything himself. There could be a lot of those that kind of pop up and those are limited obviously in how much growth they can do. They kind of can only do so many boards if it's just Joe Schmo and his, you know, his rack. And then the other thing is this thing that you're talking about, which is moving out of the state. And I know Chris, I believe Chris Ruddy is building boards in Nevada. It might be Utah. I forget where it's Utah. Yeah. And so you're saying there's some that you know that are thinking about moving or, or you could, you could foresee a future where like whoever, a big company, and I'm not going to say any names because I don't know this to be, they would move to Florida where it's just, it's just easy. You can still dis- distribute globally and huh, that's fascinating, right? Cause that does seem to be something that's in our future here sooner yeah. rather than later, two, three years. Real soon because the real estate's getting out of control. You know, my like I just saw I've seen, you know, the biggest mistake I think I ever made in business is, you know, is not buying my own building. Like, you know, I, I do a little bit of business consulting on the side and I teach classes at colleges and stuff. And, you know, that my biggest mistake is not purchasing the building and the way that it's going right now, you really to be a strong business, you gotta own your building somehow. And when I go back east. Most of the legit board builders on the East Coast own their buildings. 
Yeah. California. I don't know. There's only a couple guys I know that own their own buildings, you know, and I, I've, I think I have the biggest surfboard factory in California. If you combine yeah. Moonlight and they're, I'm, can't think of really, yeah. I mean, anything number wise, but as far as in-house glassing and everything, what we do, and I'm not bragging about it. I'm just, yeah, you know, yeah, no, you're just, what about GNS? Do they have a big space? GNS, Debbie and Eric? Um, they have a modest size space. Yeah. I wonder if, so I'm trying to think who owns their building. Like does, does, I know, um, well, yeah, it's probably personal business, but I know a couple guys that do, but you'd be yeah, surprised on like the Marcio. bigger guys that don't. Marcio does. Yeah. Marcio, sharp by surfboards, he's, you know, he's one of the guys I respect the most. He's a very talented shaper, and he's a really smart businessman and humble. Yeah, he is. I like yeah, him. he's a great guy. I do, too. I'm a big fan of his. Always have been. And it's cool to um, see he's finally getting his respect. Like, Totally. You know. Totally. Like, he's an old Point Loma guy, like, from back when you were going to school down there, right? I used to, I used to work for him. What did you, you do? What did you do for Marcia? What, what did you do? Were you were you the shop grom? No, I uh, as while I was in college, me and Adam Gillespie, I uh, I rough blanks for him. I did everything except for turn the rails. So I'd outline them, foil them, boom, 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 and give them to him. I, I think I, did, I was doing like it wasn't for a long time. I was working for him, Rusty, Dick Brewer. I was an animal man. I just loved to work back then uh, yeah. in, in GNS, and I was just. And then for a little while, Rusty, I was working for Rick Hammond. I was like his guy. And I did 10 a, 10 a week. Every Wednesday, I came with my truck after school, dropped off 10 blanks, picked up 10 more. Rick Hammond would draw the outline, and everything was by hand. It was fun. That's so cool. Because when you think about I'm thinking about your legacy and sort of your, like the guys that mentored you. And, of course, we got Brewer. We got Skip. We got Marcio. We got Rick Hammond. Are, is, the, are the, is that correct? Yeah, and a lot of those things were short stints other than Brewer. Like Brewer, I was with for a long time. Um, and obviously, we know he's not doing so well right now. So, actually, got an update last night. That's not good. Um, but yeah, all the other guys were short stints, but it's cool because every guy was so different, you know? Yeah. Tell me about Timmy Patterson. He's, he's this year's honoree in the Icons of Foam at the Boardroom International Surfboard Show this year. Um, you guys are pretty, you guys are pretty close friends. Yeah. Yeah, as of recently, we have been. Yeah, um, he he's like a, a shaper, shaper. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the guy just likes to get in there and do it. And you know, I talked to him on the phone now and stuff. And he actually like uh, he's kind of got me motivated again. I kind of got like this new born again shaper thing going where I'm actually liking the shape more and more. I, I kind of went through a burnout phase. Yeah, but he's a cool guy because he knows I'm a complete idiot on the computer, <laughs> and he's actually really good. So. I mean, he offered like 20 years ago, shapers would never do this, but he's like, Hey man, just get your stuff on files, bring them up. I'll help you clean them up. <laughs> Cause when That's I do it cool. on a computer and I hit freaking the button, now they cut the blank on the machine. It looks like a freaking Christmas tree. I'm like, hell is that? Man? I can't do it. I got to pay this lady. She's got like this Tesla gun that I, all my boards are from hand shapes. So everything that they do do on the computers is scanned yeah. from it, a hand shape. You know, these, these yeah. things are nothing to me. I was like, right. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Timmy, well deserved. He he should be an honoree. Um, he's a shaper, shaper. Do the I don't. I mean, I don't know too many people that might love shaping more than he does. Really, from my my seats. Yeah, he's got some kind of unique. Like he's the kind of guy that's he's got some tools that he sort of. I wouldn't say he crafted them, but just through the process yeah. of you know he he's got got some stuff that he's like oh look at this you know like and they're just funky little things but he's. 
he's created. He's the funnest guy to watch shape too. You know, I've, I've seen so many shapers and I always tell some of the younger shapers and all that. Like I remember telling like Ryan Birch, a couple guys, I'm like, Hey, when Timmy goes shape, watch him shape, man. The guy's nuts. Like, he's like, has one eye, you know, and he's just, <laughs> um, it was cool. Like I was stoked to have, cause last year I was in the semifinal against Timmy Patterson. To me, he was kind of the guy to beat, you know, and congrats to Ryan Birch for beating him too, because Timmy beat me. But it was, we were having fun with each other, you know. I was, I was running his room, messing with him. Hey, I'm done, but, but I wasn't. <laughs> and then he came and messed with me with that. He was done, and he was done. I was like, I always thought I was like one of the fastest hand shapers in the world, but I, I knew Timmy. Ricky. Huh? Ricky Ricky's too. pretty fast. And then so is uh, Matt Kazuma, but like all four of us can shape, can shape a board in under an hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I think and there's some guys that say they can do it in 45 minutes, but they look like they did them in 20, if you know what I mean. But yeah, I don't know. Timmy's pretty that, tools. Look, a lot of people don't know that, that you're a big part of the competition, the, the icons of foam, the tribute to the masters. You helped me sort of craft it because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I asked you a bunch of questions about it. And you helped you're like, Scott, that's a stupid idea. Don't get a block of foam. Just give them a blank. Is that something that the idea of who can shape a board under an hour, is that something that would be a way to kind of change it up? Or is that just silly? I think the 90 minutes is plenty because obviously when we get in there, we're kind of nervous. Yeah. Um, I've Obviously, I've done it a handful of times. But even the last one I did, it. I don't know if you saw, I think it was my first heat when I was against uh, Ward Coffee. I I was kind of nervous and I almost cut my finger off and I ended up running over my cord and oh, yeah. shocking myself and all that. And I had to hit the timeout button like, Hey, my planner doesn't work. So there's kind of like that 20 minute warm up yeah, edge that every guy has to have, you know, when everyone's watching them. So I think the 90 minutes is good. Cause you know, I've, in the past there's been guys that haven't finished in the 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Big wave surfing. You obviously are making boards for the elite big wave surfers, <clears throat> most notably Ian Walsh. Um, how would you describe it from your view, point of view emotionally? Like when you see Ian surfing in life or death situations and so are these other guys that you've made boards for, what's it like to watch these guys ride your boards in big ways? Um, those are obviously the most rewarding accolades in my career. Uh, from when Greg won the Eddie, obviously that one's probably the most special one to me. Cause I was like, the, just the whole, the way the times were, then seeing Ian when he got at the when he won the Jaws contest and apparently he got the wave of his life. And there's kind of a funny backstory to that. Um, but those are really rewarding and like stuff I can feel like I can hang my hat on. And the rad thing was is the board that Greg won the Eddie on, the board that Ian won Jaws on were actually handshakes. Oh yeah. Um, so it kind of like, I don't know, it just was that feather in the cap. It just made me feel good, like um yeah hitting those buttons um it's it's hard work you, you, you know like i always said it's like you're like it's like building parachutes you got to make sure they work <laughs> and, yeah but at the same time you're confident in, in the guys and you're and you have to be equally confident in your work so yeah a lot more rewarding than yeah making a mid-length for for Tom me Dick and harry yeah <laughs> what's this wave of his life what's the backstory you mentioned you you teased a little so bit. So we had, so I'm at all these contests, whether I'm in the water in the channel on a boat or on a board or at Jaws that day, I was up on the cliff and we're actually all working like a team. We have radios and I could see 
way different from up at the cliff at Jaws than what they can in the channel and whatnot, and especially the competitors' boats actually behind the lineup. And at the time, Albie Lair and a few of those guys were, you know, surfing the West Ball on a lot shorter equipment. And Ian was like, I want to ride a smaller board. I go, no, man, it's getting bigger. Stay with the 10 4. And I'm, I'm radioing to his brother as well, like, hey, he wants to take the 9 8 out. I'm like, no, stay with the 10 4. Stay with the 10 4. It's getting bigger. It's getting bigger. And there's more sweat sets coming off of the east side of the reef than on the West Bowl. Like, stick to plan A. Then Ian's getting on, like, I want to ride the 9 8. Come on, <laughs> trust me. 10-4, stay with the 10-4. And plus the 9-8 was a lot thinner. Like the way these sets were coming in, like I go, hey, those are the biggest sets of the day. He's like, no, they weren't. I go, no, they were. I've been here since six in the morning. Those are the biggest waves I've seen all day because I had the good perspective. And the cool thing about the contest is they had that area of the cliff roped off is only for friends and family and WSL people. So, and I'm like, no, and I'm like, you know, I'm telling his brother, don't let him take the 9-8 out. And then Ian kind of like, all right, man, I'm going to trust you. <laughs> and, he, you know, we radio off. And then at that time, I'm kind of like, oh, gosh, I hope I made the right choice. Because, you know, Ian and I are super yeah. tight, but he's, you know, he's a serious guy. Yeah. And there's no way he would have caught that wave on a 9-8. Yeah, radical. And, and that, he he the that it's kind of like, because I, I knew if, if that, if he went into made it out of that heat or whatever, I'm like, oh, that's going to be the end of my career at the end. <laughs> and do, do you guys joke about that conversation? Yeah, we do too. And plus he's so hypercritical because, you know, I went to the boat, boat ramp when he came in, you know, as announced he wanted, I, you know, I ran, we got champagne, the whole family was there. And, and of course, right when he got the boat, gave him a big hug. I got cool, two cool photos, like hugging Greg after he won the Eddie and hugging Ian after he won Jaws. And then one of my friends was like joking. I go, watch, man, he's going to start like wishing there's more rocker or this or that. <laughs> and sure enough, at the award ceremonies, I'm like, that's again. He's like, he's like, you know what, man? I just feel like if I could a little more rock, I could knife it. I'm like, dude, relax, man. He just got the, what people are calling the best wave in history. Just enjoy it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's so Ian. great. Ian's actually Isn't working great. with KT now in Maui, um, which, is, which is cool. You know, I like seeing guys yeah. work with other people on that. Yeah. Like I, said, I, I feel like I can hang my hat on all that stuff. Yeah. It seems like for a while there was a lot of um, attention towards the way those boards were changing and evolving. And maybe it's just because my eyes aren't open to it, but it doesn't seem like there's as much media attention to the evolution of the big wave paddle gun. Um, are we at like a place where everyone's pretty comfortable? With, I mean, it, it is what it is and it, it can't really get too much better. I actually feel like there's a new chapter starting in that realm. Where like, you know, all the performance stuff's kind of on the backside of that book where there's a, I think there's a new book coming, seeing what Kai Lenny's been doing on, on, on all the different types of craft he's writing. Um, now I think the focus, you know, for a while when I was in it, it was the focus was just getting into the waves because the kind of the paddle paddling in at Jaws and all that kind of took over from toe surfing. And now that we know those abilities and plan shapes are there. Now the whole chase is the performance thing, like all right, let's get those boards to turn off the top. And so that's where it's going right now. And and I've seen some pretty cool stuff, especially that guy from uh, KT that Ian and Kai are working with. He's doing some stuff that's catching my eye and I've been tweaking some things myself. Yeah. I'm mainly still just working with Greg and Tom Lowe. And, but right. Yeah. Right now the, the, the focus is more on performance on the big wave things because now we know what catches them. Now we got to get them to maneuver better. Earlier, you mentioned um, a friend of yours that's playing around with or examining 
different fin placement. Is that something that might make the big wave guns go more vertical and turn better? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we played, I mean, fin placement curves, uh, placing different thicknesses, taking foam out in different areas, just doing the whole displacement hole theories because they're really getting thick and heavy for the whole paddling thing. And now we're finding ways to chip out foam, but still have the same amount of buoyancy. There's ways to do that. Just, you know, like how you do old boat crafts and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. a lot, a lot of planer work. Um, I'm actually been hand shaping my guns lately just cause of that. Cause I don't know how to do that on the computer. And I'm like, yeah, it's just faster. I just whack the planer out, you know? If I compensated you, could you guide me through the process of shaping my first surfboard? Yeah. Still me around a golf too, though. <laughs> Dude, I've, I've set up golf like four or five times. And each time you're like, let's play. And then you're like, oh, I can't play. <laughs> uh, I'm super into golf right now. I've been playing a ton. I played nine the other day and I've never done this before. Like as far as I have shot even par many a times, but I've never, every hole I got a par. Wow. I've never done that. I've had a lot of even rounds where I like, oh, I even had double bogey and a bogey and then made it up with a couple of birdies. But every single hole of freaking par, I was like, and I was like saving myself. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get this time. I got a 20 foot putt. It was like Caddyshack. You know, I was waiting to get struck by lightning. It was like 20 foot putt just down the heart. I'm like, anyone see that? <laughs> where are you playing golf at? Uh, mostly I play, I'm a member at Morgan Run. And then, oh, okay. you know, I live in the mountains part time too. So I play Bishop and uh-huh. the two courses of mammoth and then i play good old Cocoa beach country club in florida when when i'm because from april to november i'm in florida every month for a week Cocoa beach country club they have 27 holes and it's nine dollars after four o'clock it's an amazing <laughs> golf course that's kelly slater's home track oh really it's oh, an amazing course greens are a little fuzzy but you, you yeah. gotta watch step there's alligators everywhere it's like jurassic park it's pretty cool <laughs> Kind of okay. like that's how we played in uh, Australia. I remember it was like birds that look like they're on the covers of cereal boxes flying around, like toucans, whatever they call them. It, yeah, yeah, that was cool. I do remember the birds, yeah. Byron Bay Country Club, wasn't that where we played? Or I don't know if it was a country club. It might have been a Muni or something. Byron Bay Municipal Golf Club. Yeah, it was nicer than any track here. Uh, it was pretty nice, yeah. Well, look, I'm going to get you out. I'm, I've got – we'll get you out there. It's just a matter of – I think you said May you're available or something. Yeah, I actually go to Florida next week. So, well, so you're willing to to guide me through the process of shaping my first surfboard because yeah, I've asked great. numerous people and everyone says yeah, and then when I hit them up, they're like, oh, I'm kind of busy. Yeah, no, I actually like it. I, I've talked to a few guys, got them in there. All right, well, Chris, we've covered a lot. What what have we missed here this this morning? Anything? Well, I think you when you originally called me, you want to talk about kind of what the future of the industry is, and I, I guess I just want to like go back to like you know what is scary is is the glassing situation. And there's also a lot of opportunity. Like there isn't one glass shop in California that doesn't have work. It's so it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, um, it's, it's definitely not a a labor situation for the future. There's a labor shortage. There's, you know, obviously with the fumes and stuff we use, it's caused a lot of concern makes it makes it's a, it's not an easy business to start, but it's actually a lucrative fun business to be in it's just there's just not enough guys right now and that's that's what's scary for the future of surfboards right now and i see why people are going to other countries for less regulations and and all that kind of stuff um i don't know i wish there'd be more glass shops that's a big problem with the future of surfboards so if i was a young guy like let's say i was 22 years old and i was listening to this i'm like okay well what do i do 
do I call Chris and go, Hey, I need a, an apprenticeship or like, like the part of that labor shortage is that there's no obvious, and I guess it's just takes a guy with some gumption and some moxie to go, look, I want to learn. I'm here. I'm knocking on your door. You better help me. Right. That's a, you know, that's how we all started, you know, by working in factories. So it's, it's, I'm grooming the guys I have right now that are in their early twenties. I'm like, Hey, this could be you one day. Like learn this stuff, get good at it, pay attention. And this could be your own business one day. And it's, it's not a bad business to be in, you know? What about having those guys that are, that are the up and comers with you, give them some incentive to bring in some young guys to keep the pipeline open. That's kind of like the rule of thumb. Like each guy starts out sweeping the floor and then works their way up to a laminator or a sander, you know, one of the piece workers. And as they move up, I always say, Hey, you got any friends that want to take over your QC job, the quality control job, quality control job. And then the packing job, those are kind of the two entry level jobs at the factory. And, you know, usually after a year to three years, they, they either move on into a piecework tradition or they move out. And so, yeah, I always like, Hey, who's a circle of your friends. And you're like, you want this job, find me another guy. Cause it's hard. It's not like you can put out the yellow pages or the, you know, Craigslist yeah. with now hiring surfboard quality control guy. <laughs> like, huh? yeah. It's a lot of word what, of mouth. What about this though? Maybe that model is not a good model. Maybe the model needs to be come in and start right away as a laminator after a month and a half or two months of training. So that guys, cause there's guys that are like, why do I want to do three years of sweeping up your floor? I'd rather just like, okay, that's option one, but I could go be a bartender and make 90 bucks an hour or what, you know what I mean? Like, so maybe there needs to be a, a change in the paradigm with, you know, what the way you guys are looking. Yeah. Yes. And no, but a lot of it too, just them being around the factory, they, they kind of start getting things through osmosis, you know, watching around, seeing how guys are doing it, you know, um, especially when you go into quality control, that's like the best way. Cause you're doing light sanding, you're mixing resin, you're fixing blends, you're fixing boards that fall off the rack. And then those guys move up from there. So it's, yeah, I hear what you're saying. All right. And you know, a lot of the old timers too, they're stubborn, you know, cause they know it's like, like you call it sacred craft, right? A lot of the old guys like, Hey, what, you know, you go in and watch them and they stink out of you like beat a kook. <laughs> like, yeah, but that's not okay. That's, that's, that's not okay. Good. Yeah. And I that's used to be that with my shaping and I'm not anymore. You, know, you want to watch? All right, let's go. You know, no, there's, there's so much, we're all busy, you know, that's just so much work out there right now. Well, all you of mentioned- I mean, I'm, I've got an 18 month waiting list right now. Really? So I'm going to have to make my own board. There's no way you're making me a board. <laughs> I mean, the friends, the friends and the loyal customers slide in much faster, but yeah, I mean, yeah. someone wants a long board with all the bells and whistles. It's generally going to take about 18 months. Earlier, you mentioned that there was only really a handful of like legit shapers. Like what would you put as that number? Like, and I guess we're talking high performance shortboard shapers, right? I mean, there's got to be, I don't know how many just in Hawaii. There's a lot, of Hawaii, a lot of great shapers in Hawaii. Exactly. Old school performance guys. And you got the yeah. Bushman Bushman, Ross and Arakawa, JC, yeah. Pizel. Johnston. Yeah. Uh, Johnston. They're, they're and that's me. That's kind of like a hub. And then obviously in Australia, there's a lot of great performance guys. By the way, you were just touching on Oahu. That wasn't even Maui. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right? like there's another 15 or 20 on Maui. They're, yeah. They're yeah. KT, even... Kazuma, um, obviously Jeff Timponi and, there's a lot of guys, but, uh, so, so, okay. So now that we know that there actually are a lot of guys, wouldn't it be cool if stab just got a whole new round of 12 different guys? Like, do we really need another thing with the 12 standard guys? Like why not get you and I and stab too, by the way, could come up with 12 guys that 
And it would be an interesting stab in the dark to see whoever, let's say Jack Robinson, ride 12 boards that aren't necessarily on tour, but are high performance short boards. I think it would be good for the industry. I think it would be good for the common guy like me. It seems like they're a little bit pigeonholed. I agree with you hundred percent. Maybe like the guy that wins, just like, you know, the board build off that you do at Sacred Craft, like the winner keeps on going. I don't know. It's, it's their money. <laughs> it's their production, but I still like the idea of like, all right, like throw a plane around and make them glass and sand them, everything start to finish and it's documented. Yeah. I like um, that too. That's exciting. But yeah. And then mix the, mix the crew up. Cause how many stab in the darks has there been now? Like six or seven. I'm not sure the exact and number. It's pretty but, much hey. the same six or seven, eight shapers every time with a few guys added in, but I don't know. It's, I still, I get excited when they got a new one. I always watch it, you know? Yeah, me too. It's a really better. I miss that. It's Although, great. like, I live down the street from La Paloma. I even, that's what's weird about San Diego. Like, freaking Rolling Stones could be in town. Oh, they played last night? Like, San Diego's so weird like that. I live, you know, I live close to La Paloma. And like, oh, Stab in the Dark premieres t- tonight. Or, or it was last night. And I'm like, huh? I didn't know. <laughs> I would have been there. Yeah. Well, look, here's the deal. You can go see Iron Maiden. I just told you about Iron Maiden. I'd like to see Iron Maiden, actually. They're killer. I've seen like, them. What did I get? Free set of tickets for being a guest on the show today? No, but they're really good. You should go see them. Yeah. They're super good. They are good. God, how old are those guys now? They're probably as old as my laminators. They're pretty old. The lead singer guy flies his own airplanes. Do you know that? He's a pilot. He flies 767s. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He's a he am on a podcast. <laughs> Anyway, Chris, we've said a lot. I'm excited about what's coming up with the Ocean Pro series that you're designing. Thank you. I'd like to get on one of those for sure. I'm excited about building a surfboard with you as my guide. My, you're going to mentor me through the process. Maybe you could do that on the podcast. I don't know if you guys do videos and whatnot. But yeah, no, absolutely. It would be great. It'd be really we'll, cool. We'll do the 90-minute rule just like you do in the thing. Like, yeah. Holy shit. Are you kidding it's going to take me 90 minutes to sharpen the pencil. I think you that's Ross and was slow. <laughs> like, all right, Scott, you got 90 minutes. Let's go. That would be, but see, the re, the thing is, is that. I'll do one half. All right. Do it just like you did on that half. All right. All right. There we, now we're going to do this. We do that. An asymmetrical, I assume. Well, look, Chris, thanks for being on the show. We're going to golf. I'm going to set it up. And then I look forward to, to talking with you, you know, whenever soon. I'll shoot you a text. Thanks, Scott. Okay. Talk to you later.
When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.